Yeah, man, so I start looking out the window. I see gun store, gun store, look store, gun store. Where the fuck are you taking? Yeah, man, OG shit right here, man. Yeah, we got to twist it up. We got to lift it up. Welcome back, folks, to episode 27 of Baked Takes with Dick. And Bones. Welcome back, ladies and gents. 27. 27 strong. 27 is going to be the age you're going to be in a couple weeks. How do you feel? Ooh, holy shit. Getting up there, man. Dude, Getting what? up there. First off, putting my private information out there for all <laughs> okay. to see. Second, couple that weeks. is pretty wild, actually, 27. I feel like I'm... Existential No, not thoughts. yet. I st- I'm a kid at heart. <laughs> okay, welcome back, ladies and gents, to episode 27 of Baked Takes with Dick and Bones. Last podcast, yep. last podcast, yep. we brought in the arts. We talked about music. We talked about acting. We talked about film. Yeah. David Azar came in, and it was really refreshing. He spoke also about his personal story with cancer. I highly recommend you check that out. Yeah. But now. I like that, plugging the old episodes. because Check it out. You know, you know people might have missed it with busy lives. Yeah. So we'll get back into it. But tonight. What do we have tonight? We're going back to the sciences. We're going back to the, the study of the mind and the brain and the behaviors that make us uh, act the way we do. And so tonight, I'm honored to introduce our very special guest, one of the most requested guests, I should say, wow. in history. <laughs> stop it, stop. Mental health expert, therapist, Rachel Shimtu. Welcome Woo! to the show. Thank you. It is so nice to be here. And from right here, it's the first podcast you've ever been doing, right? Yes. It might also be the first podcast I ever listened to. So. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, I'll, I'll take it. But um, something interesting, we have a whole audience tonight. Wow. So we might Woo! be taking... Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Let's hear it from the audience. <laughs> Live studio audience. Well, we finally got that soundboard where we can press the button for the audience. Live studio um, audience. <laughs> Live studio audience. So we may, we may get some questions from the audience. Questions from the we'll audience, see how yeah. it works. But, but tonight, uh, let me just introduce our agenda. Tonight we're talking about the things that make Rochelle so unique in her experiences of mental health issues, including depression, including anxiety, therapy, and different treatments to those issues. Are we going to do a, like a session for us? Maybe. On this podcast? Maybe. And then we're I also going to talk about we're also going to talk about something unique to Rochelle, which is being a first generation American. So we're going to talk about the issues, maybe the challenges, and you the things. Her are, and all the other immigrants. Yeah, exactly. I'm, the experiences, the experiences of a first generation American. <laughs> And we're going to get some live reaction again from the crowd. Before we do that, you said you were a big fan of the podcast. The, uh, podcast I love this no. podcast and podcast in So general. you know what we do at the beginning of every podcast. We <laughs> eat delicious candy. Thank you candy very much. Tasting. Eat candy. Tonight, Dick, what do we got? Well, candy tasting sponsored by... Sourcraft watermelon. Finest candy in the What do we got? We have, okay, this is, I'm excited. Pre-show, we were looking at this package and it just looks... It looks like a fun time overall. It is trolley sour crunchy crawlers, yeah. candy shell, and a chewy center. So I saw these in the in the uh, in the seven eleven. New candy. Trolley's by the way very inventive with their candies. Yeah, I'm gonna take one of each flavor. Uh, Rochelle, what's your uh, what's your candy game like? I love fun? Airheads, but I also love chocolate. So if we're gonna go with chocolate, Ooh. I would go with Twix. But if All we're right. gonna go with candy, I love I love Airheads. You know, Airheads. We didn't have it. Like sour Airheads. No, we, I think we had the sour Airheads on there. I like. Oh, you know, we had we had the Airheads like, belts. We gotta go straight airheads. But tonight we're going sour. What's the what's the official title of this? Sour, sour? Crawlers. crunchy, crunchy sour. crawler. It's supposed to be hard on the outside, soft on the inside. We're going in. I have green. You have red. I have red. Cheers. Cheers. I have all three. Blue. One bite. Nice. One bite. Everyone knows the rules. Diversity. Oh my god, this is bizarre. <laughs> Not feeling this. Okay, okay, it feels like this is bizarre. It feels like it's a skittle, oh. where the inside is much gooier and the outside is much harder. Like. 
There's trying to be a an extreme skittle. It's not. The texture is all wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't like it at all. I don't like the texture at all. And then the taste all. comes in. Flavor is not bad. The taste comes in and it's bad. equally bad. I have it a no, 1.7. No, no. Wow, that's horrible. Lowest in history. Mm-hmm. Really? Um, yeah. I disagree with that. Oh, second, it's right there with the super, Red's super good. sour toxic Red's waste. Good. Toxic waste was a 1.6, so this is slightly better. So I'm going to try a blue one. You had green. I think it's a different color. Oh, we got Brian Windhorst in the booth. What do you got? I need different colors. Can you rate them differently? But yeah, I think the, I had two flavors. I had the... Blue's wait, let's, see, let's read the flavors. Wait, let it go, let it go, let it go. I had the green and the blue. The blue so just... The blue is uh, raspberry shell, orange inside. Ooh. Green is lime outside, cherry inside. Very cool. Um, right. The Brian, blue is not great. The um, the green that I had was awesome. You like the lime cherry? Yeah. Ooh. The lime cherry was great. The what do you got? One to ten, what do you got? I think it's watermelon strawberry. That's what, that sounds great. Mm. Um, One through ten. What's your score, Brian? Mm, I'm gonna give it a seven point three. Wow, seven point three. That's pretty, pretty high. high. Not bad, not bad, not bad. Let's show what you got. I think it was like a five point five point eight. Five point eight. I'm okay. at a one point seven. Dick, what do you got? Every time, it's it's interesting. The experience starts out so poor. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So you want to give it like a one, yeah, and then slowly climbs back. And I, I just bit that as <laughs> I was about to give my score. Um, six nine for the fans. Six nine for the fans. <laughs> nice. It's getting okay. a little better. We are here. The is episode. Good, every time you bite it, it sucks again. Episode number twenty-seven of Big Takes Dick and Bones. Again, we have in the booth a mental health expert. I could say a therapist. Are you a licensed therapist? I'm a licensed master of social work. You I'm think we don't get licensed people on the show? <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, we have well, the experts. So I'm not. I'm working towards my clinical hours to become a licensed clinical social worker. Mm-hmm. So after three years of working in a clinical setting, you become a licensed clinical social worker. You can bill insurance. You work as your own. So person. let me just go back for a second. You went to, according to my calculations, according to my research, <laughs> Binghamton, right? BS, BS in human development. So yes. Just yes. talk about that experience. Sure. What is human development? Just explain that. That is us. a great question. So human development, I think, is like a nice. Nice mix of sociology and psychology where it's not only talking about the mind, it's not only talking about society and our environment, it kind of bridges the two together. Um, And I think that my major did a great job at incorporating research, but also practical work, like getting in the field and working with people who you want to, you know, outreach and try to help. Got it. And then you went on to Binghamton. No. Oh, sorry. You went on to <laughs> Hunter. I did go on to Hunter. My, my uh, <laughs> calculations my, are my wrong. Calculations <laughs> are wrong. But Hunter, so you have an MS, Master's in Social Work. A Master's in okay, Social Work, yes. So and talk I, to me about that. So Don't you have to figure out like a, a certain division with it or Sure, specialty? yeah. Is yeah, that? so in within the Master's program, there were two routes, either clinical or community organizing. And I was really confused because they're both so tempting, like community organizing, right. you're doing more hands-on like grassroots work. But... If you have a clinical background, you can really do both. But if you have the organizing background, you can't really do clinical. Just talk about like the basic difference between the two. Oh yeah, so yeah. like so like organizing is more working for like nonprofits that are doing like outreach work, whether right. it's like in the political sector or um, just you know with students or or families who need more like hands-on resources and not so much like therapeutic services. Whereas like the clinical sector, it's more you're going through clinical work, family work, um, meeting weekly. Um, Doing more, doing more of like I would say the, the therapeutic role. So it's more so, interpersonal. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And which one did you choose? I chose clinical. Clinical, yes. Because you think it could cover the two. It co- yeah, because it kind of does cover. You think the it's two. more like you're impacting the world more as one versus the other. I, I no, I think that they're both so important. I just think for me personally, I wanted to have more of the background for mm-hmm. clinical, but then the option to do right. Both. As if you say, if you do both. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, let me ask you about now. Yeah. Long Beach Reach. Long Beach Reach. So recently changed to Long Island Reach because okay. now we're in <laughs> Give us the break. Give I us like the, the give yeah. us a thirty thousand foot view. What is the organization or, or yeah. specific? Yeah. So we are a nonprofit in Long Beach, Long Island. Um, it, we are a mental health and substance abuse clinic. Um, so we work with individuals, families, uh, kids of all ages, adults. Well, actually, no kids above the age of twelve, um, but all ages, um, all populations. We see. Um, my role specifically is a little unique because I'm in Long Beach High School three days a week, so I'm working cool. primarily with high school kids Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then we also run an alternative high school, and I teach a health class there, which is considered a therapeutic group, but it's a psychoeducation group. Just talk about the Long Beach Reach topics or issues, or what, yeah. kind, of, what kind of things are you facing there? Yeah, so <laughs> I deal with people, I deal with, I shouldn't say that, I work, I work I with people, work with people. <laughs> um, who are you know suffering from mental illness, whether it's anxiety, depression, personality disorders, right. mood disorders, um, behavioral issues, so if they have ADHD, um, situational issues in their life, circumstantial, whether they just lost their job or they're just going wow. through a hard time or an existential crisis like Richie might have next week or whatever <laughs> the case may be after you turn 27. Um, right. But yeah, it's pretty it's pretty broad, the range of what we see. But are you dealing with a specific age group? Is that your specialty? So or? like Monday, Wednesday, so like three days a week I'm with high school age kids and then right. Tuesday, Thursday, those two days I'm with all ages. But I'm primarily with so That's a lot age. of topics to cover. Like yeah. you could be a master's, you could have a master's in one of those topics. Yeah. You know, homeless that's that could be your master's and you have to be an all-around yeah. expert it's right not, it's not hard it is it is definitely hard and i'm always learning and i'm always researching and For thankfully sure. my clinic is filled with very experienced workers who definitely help us figure out how to navigate certain situations so but think about like the, the first month on the job like you have to advise somebody yeah you have consequences yeah. to that the yeah. learning curve there is so crazy because there's no practice into uh like you're learn you're studying in the textbooks and then you actually have to translate that into talking to people which yeah. is with super consequences with, with, with no practice with yeah. yeah really that's what i loved about the way the program was set up um it, the way it's designed is you do three days a week of in the field work and you're, so you're pra basically practicing the thing that you're learning two days a week in school right. um, but you're an intern so there's not as much you know reliability on you if you mess up right. then it falls on your supervisor so, so like, now you're how many years in though I graduated a year and a half ago Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So still pretty new into the still field. Still pretty new, very new. So, but yes. you, do you feel confident when you're making these recommendations, or I definitely, feel? I definitely feel like I've learned a lot about how to handle situations and what to anticipate, um, how to navigate parents, especially because right. I think that's its own animal. Yeah, its own animal is dealing with parents. Um, but I definitely feel more confident, and I really think it's because my work environment is just so they submerge, they throw you in. It's so submerging into like every possible issue, any potential challenge. I feel like I, if it's not happening to me, it's happening to a coworker. Right. So you're just watching and learning, and cool. they're very supportive. I want to talk about one specific issue. So you mentioned in the beginning that you deal with topics such as anxiety, mm -hmm. such as depression. So I want to focus in on that, just because it's so prevalent. Yes, right. It's such a stigmatized issue. Um, and, but it's so prevalent. So I just want to talk about the stats. I'll just give you guys the background. Sure. Okay, one in seven kids, K through 12th grade, are either a bully or a victim of bullying. Mm -hmm. So think about that, one in seven. Mm -hmm. And just major depressive, uh, uh, depression disorder, right? There's 17 million people in the US. One, uh, it's 7% it's seven, 7 of the US population is, is clinically depressed. So question, yeah. has 
our attitudes as a, as a nation changed or has our definition of depression okay i'm gonna get that in a second changed? i'm gonna get that in a second definitions right it's important here but let me just talk about also anxiety mm-hmm. anxiety disorders most common mental illness mm-hmm. in the u.s affecting 40 million adults in the u.s 18 or older 18 percent of the population mm-hmm. so think about it, 18 that's like one in five right yeah. right so the definitions here is gonna be are gonna be very important uh, okay but listen like Rochelle, me, Dick, Enrique, and Brian, one of us is clinically, has clinical anxiety. What, is, what does that mean? Does it mean like, I, I want to know what that means. Does it mean I'm, I'm anxious sometimes or I, okay, is it so like, what's question. the spectrum? Let's here? give it to the expert. Great Could you question. just define, define the, the both of them, depression sure. and anxiety? What do you so got? I think experiencing feelings of anxiety, feelings of depression, I think that's very normal. I yeah. think that's something that we, you know, if, and I always try to explain this to like my kids, especially because they have a hard time. They get really caught up in the diagnosis when it's not always about that. Um, you know, if your dog runs away, if your house burns down, if you lose your job, like, of course, you're going to experience right. feeling depressed. You should. Um, and you should. And, and that's a normal reaction to have. And, and the immediate reaction shouldn't be considering medication or, you know, it should be to resolve that problem. So I think the biggest differentiating factor is, is there a, a source? Is there mm-hmm. a cause? And odds are when it's not, it's clinical depression. Right. It's, it's beyond just you feeling sad. It's, there's right. a chemical imbalance that needs to be fixed, not just through therapy or medication, sometimes a combination of both. Right, so it's biological. Right, exactly. So talk about the actual definition Visual. of like specifically depression. Like how would you define that? Um, if you're clinically depressed, what's changed? If you're clinically depressed, I would, I mean, I don't really know too much about like how your brain chemistry is different. Maybe you have less dopamine or mm-hmm. you're not as receptive to dopamine, dopamine receptors. So like if like things that might normally bring someone joy, they're, they're walled off. Like there's like a, a cap on how much they can feel excitement or joy from something. We got to um, bring Mikey in to confirm that. Yeah, no, we definitely need Mikey to confirm that. That's not my, um, I'm more on like the reactive right, piece, right. but um I definitely think that it's beyond just, you know, the mundane things. And, and I also really feel like how it looks isn't always 100% right. It's not always somebody who can't shower, who can't mm-hmm. go to work. Like, you can have functional right. depression and right. still get to work. It's like you have functioning alcoholics, functioning... Uh, exactly. Yeah. And that doesn't make it less prevalent just because it's not, you know, uh, ruining your day-to-day right. interactions right. or life. So, I understand that. Let me talk about anxiety. Mm-hmm. For me, anxiety... And anxiety panic attacks. Although I'm, I've been fortunate, I haven't had any panic attacks. I haven't felt like I haven't felt especially anxious about anything. But I compare it to like the savanna. You know, I compare compared to like a deer in the jungle or in the wilderness, and he's being chased by who? A lion, right? And what happens when you're being chased by a lion and you're a deer? Your heart races, right? Your muscles tense up. Your eyes go into focus mode. Why? Because you need to survive, right? And that's what's needed at that time. And I feel like us as humans didn't really evolve from that mm-hmm. to the extent that we have challenges during our life. We have like little mundane things. And what? We go into deer in the headlights <laughs> mode, right? Well, no, well, and not. our body seizes up and it can't focus and it can't actually function. That's what I consider to be like an anxiety, a clinically anxious or anxiety disorder. That's Bones' definition, which holds That's no weight whatsoever. Zero weight. But um, to your point... Yeah. I don't know if this is like actually has any uh, any connection to what we're going to be talking about, but you're saying how when you feel like um, your your survival instincts come into play, and that's when your right. eyes go. We don't have any survival situations anymore because right, we've exactly. adapted and we've gone into a world where that doesn't happen. So that that 
survival instinct hasn't gone away. It's just applied to things that aren't that important. All right, give us the expert analysis on this. I I mean, I think you both brought up really great points. I think like anxiety in terms of like a a more smaller scale day to day, it's just chronic worrying. You're constantly worrying. It doesn't have to be about things that are significant or insignificant. It's something that maybe, I don't want to say normal, but but somebody with maybe a, a more better handle on feelings of anxiety doesn't experience these feelings with like driving let's say to the city or um like crossing the street and and like on a main road like little things that maybe some people just feel like they're more better equipped for Uh, people with anxiety might you know question more or obsess over or you know be concerned about even if they have no real reason to be let me ask you about panic attacks Mm -hmm. what do they look like how do you define it yeah i mean so I, i think people always kind of assume um, that panic attacks, again, are like this big, and it, and it can represent as like a big situation. A lot right. of times people go to the hospital thinking that they're having yeah. a heart attack, they're having a panic attack. Um, so it can look like physically you're hyperventilating, you might have a headache, you might be sweating, you might like not be able to get your words across or really think uh, linearly. So it's really, that's I would say the more extreme of it. And then in a more, I would say smaller scale, it could look like just not being able to calm yourself down. Right. Again, hyperventilating is definitely still there. Yeah, so so on the first point, the more extreme one, yeah, kind of connects to your other point uh, um, with um, you might not be able to see it. Like people might just on the outside look like nothing's wrong. There's this guy, Bradley Martin, who's a, um, like a big Instagram guy, worked out, whatever, giant dude, like bodybuilding type of guy. On the outside, he looked like everything was going right for him. Right. Every lift he posted was great. He always had girls on his arms. He's like he just looked like a cool guy. You wanted to be him. Mm-hmm. Then you see he posts. Uh, he posted a couple times him in a hospital bed, and nothing physically is wrong with him. He just had a panic attack right. where he couldn't. He literally felt like he couldn't breathe. He felt like he was gonna, he was gonna die. Yeah. And um, like it, it gets to the point where it's something that's you think is mental. But it affects the physical, of course. where you you actually cannot function, which is pretty Even crazy. You could be the strongest, toughest guy. Yeah, yeah. right. There, there was just a, a video on YouTube or Facebook of Fury. What's his first name? Tyson. Tyson Fury, big white guy. The so, guy that just won oh, the fight. Yeah, 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 huge white guy, and yeah. he's talking about. You have to see this guy. Six foot eight. He weighs what three hundred pounds. Two seventy. He's a fighter, right? That's his profession, and he was talking about what mental health, mm. right? So it's such a huge topic. Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps is running an ad campaign. Or the, he's the head of, um, what's, what's the, um, it's like a, a hotline basically that you call or an app that it checks in with you. National Suicide Hotline? Or? No, no, no. It was, it, was, uh, it was like a therapy um, app. Oh, cool. I mean, there. And he was the face of it. Of them, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Michael Phelps also? Yeah, Michael Phelps, yeah. That's so cool. Um, okay, let's talk about anxiety disorders because I know there's a different types of them. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm just, I think most people are just familiar with social anxiety. So it's like, I guess the fear of being judged maybe. I, I think, I mean, that's definitely, I think, one of the biggest contributors, but right. it's it's really difficult for people with social anxiety to maybe be in situations that, you know, you, you would feel like maybe not as challenged with, like, going to the mall um, or meeting new people yeah. or, you know, when I, I worked at a camp for a few summers for BBYO um, in Wisconsin and a lot, of, I wouldn't say that they had, like, clinical social anxiety. I wouldn't really be able to give them that diagnosis in two weeks, but, like, they definitely had a harder time assimilating with other kids. Right. Um, and again, I like what you said before about is it a 
is it that our definitions have changed right. or is it that the, it's looked differently? Because if right. you look at how kids socialize now, there isn't as much face-to-face interactions. I hate to like blame social media, but yeah, like everyone yeah. interacts right. on social media. It's harder. Let's talk about just for a second. Yeah, okay. yeah. I want to talk about the causes, right? Yeah. We spoke about the landscape, how many people it affects, but let's talk about causes, right? Yeah. So you mentioned social media. Could it be that spending time looking at Instagram, for example, where you're seeing everyone yeah. else's perfect life right. makes you depressed, makes you anxious? 100%. 100%. You, we live in a culture where we can't get away from it. You know, When I was growing up, I come home from school, I don't know what the hell Anne-Marie is doing at That's home. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's so different. Whereas now... Like if you're excluded from something, you know about it. Yeah. If you are, if you're, if you're not as financially stable as your friends, you know about it from what they're posting, well, what they're appears, doing. It appears like you are. It appears exactly, or it's just how it looks. Yeah. By the way, teenagers. Yeah. It's, it, there's a study done. Teenagers who spend more time on social media feel more isolated, more anxious. Yes. But the question really is, you know, correlation is is correlation and causation. Right. 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 So what's the correlation here? So being on social media and being depressed, you know, so I, what comes I think first, it could, the egg, but. that's, I mean, I think it definitely can increase those feelings right. of anxiety. I don't know if it's that in, of, in and of itself would be considered a cause maybe mm-hmm. for some people. Um, but I definitely, other causes, maybe genetics, maybe. Yeah. Hera- it's, it? I mean, if you're genetically, if you have family members that suffer from depression or, or anxiety, you might have a higher chance of it. It depends. Right. Other mood disorders like bipolar. So is that because you're growing up in the house with somebody that has that? that good question or is it or is there a gene that's actually passed down do you have a genetic for a lot of these disorders you have a genetic predisposition right so something like bipolar which we haven't really talked about Mm -hmm. but it's a great example you have a genetic predisposition to have either a manic episode or an episode where you're diagnosed with bipolar but it usually takes a stressful situation to inhibit that manic episode so i think dick's saying is the fact that her parent let's say you have Mm -hmm. a parent who's depressed does that make you depressed because of that, that is in itself is an event that can cause right. depression. That's I mean that's so a nothing great... to do with genetics. Right. Just the fact that you have a depressed father. I guess I th- I guess it's hard to say because you can have a case study of someone with a depressed father who's functional, who takes medication, who goes to therapy, who is like the poster boy for what depression could look like if it's treated. Mm-hmm. But you're still at a genetic predisposition to have that yourself. Right. What could, uh, could you find that I'm a little confused about that? What is genetic? predisposition mean so it like how your how your body or how your mind or how your emotional responses to certain situations like maybe if you have a very stable structured life you may not be susceptible to experiencing depression but like if you have this like genetically in your family or if you have this genetically in you then right. even if there's nothing situationally happening you you're you can fall to experiencing clinical depression so would they be able to trace it back to a specific gene I don't know. I mean, because what I'm thinking is like, let's say we took a test, right? Of, and we try to make this a really big, um, you know, end size population. So we took a uh, hundred people yeah. that have parents that are clinically depressed and isolated them yeah. out of, or we put them in a situation where we think they wouldn't get depressed because of what's around them. Right. So we took them out of that place and we did that to a hundred people that had no issue with the right. family. Would the, you know, sample A be higher percentage of clinical depression than sample B in living in the same exact conditions? That's kind of like what, how I would, it's super hard to test that, right. obviously. Right, and that's but, the thing. It is really hard to test it, but it's interesting but to think would about. Would you think, would, would your hypothesis be that uh, the uh, ones coming from clinical depression would have more likely, 
likelihood it's Yeah, I, I would definitely so, think so. But why? Like, so that then you guys are both saying it's gene specific. It's a chemical imbalance. Right. It's a chemical. Right. Imbalance. So there are there are yeah. studies um, lower serotonin levels. Are yeah, yeah. More, more anxious, right? So people, and I also want to talk about the fact that are they linked? So so I mean, in your in your expert opinion, um, are <laughs> these are these things linked? Are depression and anxiety linked somehow? I I don't see them as linked because I see them really standing on their own. They're right. so they're so different. I mean, I think we group them together because they're so common. But mm-hmm. and there are definitely people who suffer from multiple diagnoses. It's called comorbidities. Mm-hmm. But I don't think those are the two that I would necessarily say are automatically grouped together. Right. Um, because. What is anxiety? It is constant worrying. And sometimes if you are very depressed, it's hard to really feel worried about anything because right. you don't really feel so... Right, you're numb. You, yeah, you true. don't really feel so... So I want to talk about anything. anxiety because really anxiety, to me, also comes with any kind of change. Yeah. You have any kind of life change, even if it's not life-changing, even if it's just a mundane thing, yeah. you have stress about it. Yes. So that's anxiety to at least a certain degree, mm-hmm. right? So regardless of the cause... Well, not everybody. Just, Some people are excited about change. I mean... It's got to be the large majority of people when they Maybe have change in their life, yeah. they're resistant to it. It's got to be. Uh, that's just a random claim. <laughs> I'm trying to see if that's correct you're or not. Substantiate I, that I'm trying to see if it's correct or not. I think it comes down to temperament. I think, okay. I, I mean, I have seen in my clients with bipolar, they're excited about change, but that's because they function so impulsively that that's a, a really a, an extension of their mood disorder. So like... No, so you were saying anxiety came with, with uh, that right. change. So bipolar... Stress. Bipolar doesn't necessarily mean they, they have an anxiety issue, right? No, 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 right. no. So, okay. like, my example was more that, like, maybe most people don't feel stress about certain mm-hmm. changes, but people who may, or, or pe- most people feel stress about certain changes, but people who don't might, that might be a result of a bigger issue. Right. Like, I, and I'm not saying uh, that there's any, like, signs backing that all up. Right. But so, yeah. TBD, <laughs> but we're going into, we heard about the causes, theoretical causes, right? We're still not really sure. Right. right. I mean, there's just, I think, so many potential. Right. Yeah. So we're going to go into on. the actual treatments. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to talk first about a topic that we actually brought up a couple podcasts ago. Okay. Uh, medi- me- um, meditation. Meditation. Uh, right. Yeah. Bones brought us through a very amazing. I actually uh, did a, uh, it was like a 20 something second yeah. meditation. Oh, really? Go That's visit that. But it was go actually, that, uh, it was actually. Uh, you remember what episode that was? Um, it was like 21 or something. Manifesting your future. You have to while listen to all of them and catch I'm not up. Sure. There's too many to count. But we talked about meditation, right? And initially, back in like the 1970s, this was like this like spooky like voodoo thing from the like Asian Eastern countries, yeah. etc. Now it's a way of life. Yeah. So we and we covered what the actual physical benefits are, physical and psycho, uh, psychological benefits. But how does the? I'm just curious. How does the medical community uh, community officially like see? meditation as part of the total treatment plan so there i mean there are studies that support that's a great question there are studies that support mindfulness and meditation can have as high of an effect as medication so and and those are just some studies but it is crazy it's it's training your brain it's sitting with your feelings it's knowing how to exercise feeling really mindful and also right. mindless at the same time, which is really difficult, I think, to achieve. I mean, I don't know about you. Like, anytime I try to meditate, I can't. Also, your, I, brain, I, your brain races. It does. Right? It does. Oh, so let me talk about actual yeah. meditation, right? So just mindfulness. You mentioned mindfulness. Right, before that, yeah. do you think the clinical world is more likely to throw medication and, and, and scripts at the problem? Or meditation. Versus, yeah, versus like... Right. Because, you know, it's uh, to compare it, I would compare it to like the fitness world and, and the... Um, 
and just overall nutrition world mm-hmm. where a lot of times uh, people go to doctors for an issue and they want to throw a medication at it instead right, of right. Do- doing the what, – what actually works is knowing how to eat right, right and mm-hmm. exercising. Right. So it's like – do you have to kind of like tap into that uh, – uh, your mind a little bit and understand what the cause is as opposed to just throwing in to, to – right. um, Fix the symptoms of, of depression or whatever. So we're gonna hit on medication in a second. Okay. I want to talk okay, about. Okay, okay. Jump, jump the gun. I want to talk about meditation <laughs> because you're saying it's just as effective, just as effective as the some, as studies. The some studies. Some studies. Some studies. Yeah. Asterisk. Potentially. Need a minute analysis. Let me just let me just give you the background. Yeah. So mindfulness in general. Mm-hmm. What is it? You're saying yourself. You go throughout your day and your brain just is on autopilot. Yeah. You don't actually think of what you're doing at any given time. Mm-hmm. Right, you don't think breathe now, breathe now, breathe now. It's on autopilot. Oh, when you do though, it's so good. <laughs> so mindfulness so, is exactly the worst. This. It's being aware of the body's movements. It's like yeah. a choking. So things like breathing, being aware that you're breathing. Yeah. The fact that your brain is racing, you're aware of it. And there's a story in, in uh, meditation, med- you know, meditation circles. I'm not, I'm not oh, in there. Are you but, in one? No. No. So there's a thing yeah. called there's a thing called the tortoise and the fox. From the, outside. the tortoise and the fox story. What happens? Tortoise is walking. Yeah, tortoise is walking down the road and he sees the fox Uh and he says, "Oh snap! I'm gonna get eaten right now." The fox says, "Oh, this is gonna be a great meal, right?" Yeah. So what does the tortoise think? Okay, if I run, I'm gonna get eaten. Not fast enough. Not fast enough. We gotta. So what does he do? He sinks into his shell, and he sinks into his shell, and the tor and the fox is doing laps around him. He's like, "How can I get in? How can I get in?" Yeah. And eventually, they become Salivating. friends, and he comes out and says, I'm your friend, right? So, so this Whoa. is a long-winded story. That sound, you know what that sounded like to me? <laughs> so well, no, no, no. When you're watching a movie, and they, the guy meets the chick for, uh, the first time, gives him a wink or something, and then they just skip They're to the married. bar with having sex. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's like, true. wait, wait, wait. You just said he went to the show, and then he is became that, friends. Is porn or? No, I'm talking about like, like a movie or something. Like okay. when Ryan Reynolds is flirting with a chick, and then right. all of a sudden he's slamming her against one. Yeah, like, what you just said. Okay, but that's the story. That's the story. The 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 nimshal, right? The, okay. the the moral of the story is that if you're having stress, don't run from it. No. Don't confront it. Even what should you do? Not you should a see it. Story. You should see it at at a distance. You could you should decompartmentalize. Uh, is that the word? No, that means like <laughs> kind of take it and and put it somewhere else. Right. You should say, okay, I am having a panic attack. No, so you're saying you should you should. But uh, breathe the panic it. attack. Right. Acknowledge the panic attack. Acknowledge it. Exactly. So you see your stress in your life and you and you see it mm-hmm. and you know it's there. It doesn't affect you because you're looking at it from a distance. That's the story. And you're you're seeing that even in that moment, high extreme moment of such high stress, you're still okay. Like right. there it, it's really hard to I think get to that point. Um, but mindfulness it, it really can impact you like day to day, long term. I mean it, it there's um, there's this show on Netflix called The Mind Unleashed, and their mindful Ooh, episode is awesome. I, I yeah, I play it. I play it for my kids all the time, and like I think they just do a great job at explaining it in really relatable ways. So, right. Yeah. So, in your expert opinion, yeah, your <laughs> your the, the, the phrase of the day. Your diagnosis is going to say go meditate. Like, what do you actually? Pre- I mean, like, I definitely I, I a blanket. <laughs> blanket every patient you no, see. Meditate. No, is that is that on the thing? It's three pills of this and five no. sessions of meditation. No, and no. you know why? Because th- you have to really be ready to incorporate that into your life. Right. And at least in my experience, a lot of my kids just aren't a lot of my and some of my adults are but in so far in my practice it's something that's been really difficult to have people integrate into their day-to-day lives and people who do like it run with it but i can't really you can't really push someone to do it because it won't work you know 
Let's move on to. And, but even yeah. even if it does work, the fact that they 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 don't accept that as a as a treatment necessarily. Right. Like they hear you, but they're not gonna. They're not. It's not, not, not really to help them. Practice. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Let's talk about medication. Right. Yeah. It's a huge industry. Yes. Um, since World War II, this guy Milton. I did my research. Okay. This okay, guy Milton, Bradley. the best-selling drug ever marketed. What was it? It was it was a drug called Miltown, oh. and it calmed down lab rats. So essentially, it's an antidepressant or anti-anxiety. What was it actually? Medicine. Was it I'm not like sure. cocaine or something? I'm not sure, but just talk about medication uh, more fun. as the industry, just yeah. in general, like what it actually does to each patient. Yeah. So I mean, I'm really lucky again that my clinic. I think it really represents a lot of what I believe in terms of how you know progress in treatment should look like. Um, and especially with kids, like we only really recommend getting a psych evaluation, receiving medication services if you're at a point where individual therapy or family therapy hasn't worked or mm-hmm. if you are in extreme duress, like you are suicidal or mm-hmm. homicidal or anything like that. So I really do personally believe in giving it a chance um, through therapy on its own, doing individual, doing family, whatever it is to actually acknowledge what's causing you to feel this way. And once trying to work through those problems, you recognize there's still that chemical imbalance. Yeah. I still can't resolve this. That's when I think medication should be put into play. The last resort. You last mentioned resort. therapy, right? Yes. So we're going to focus on this one uh, because there was a 2015 study. It said the most effective solution was what? Medication and therapy. Right. So let's talk about therapy. Sure. And I want you just to, because this is your sweet spot, right? Mm-hmm. This is my sweet spot. I want you just to define it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get into the... The, the underlying yeah. question, which is why are people so afraid of it? That's that's yeah. really my question. But so so there's stigma around so it. So definition, yeah, let's go definition. But I think first. therapy is really designating a certain amount of time in your day to day life. I mean, in your in your week or in your bi weekly, however often you go, where you go and you concentrate on working towards goals and resolving whatever it is, whether it's past, present, future that you want to work to resolve. Um, so I think there's just so many different ways that could look like, like with a lot of my younger kids, I do a lot of art therapy, play therapy, um, with my adults, it's mostly cognitive behavioral therapy where we just talk about specific thoughts and yeah, triggers. Yeah. Okay. But it, <laughs> right, right. so I think the shocker for me to start is that it doesn't have to be, you don't have to speak even, you could be doing activities, right? And that's yeah. therapy in and of itself. Right. And, and that's, I mean, I actually at first had a lot of trouble kind of acclimating to that because I was like, why am I spending 45 minutes once a week playing Connect Four with this kid? <laughs> right, like, what exactly. the hell am I doing for him? Right. But I recognized how important it is to establish trust before actually being able to talk about those things right. or even just modeling, even mm-hmm. that act of modeling, like, like, what does it look like to be a... A good loser, a good loser. Like when you lose, yeah. like responding in a in a positive way. Um, what does it feel like when you feel rejected or when you feel like you've lost? And like, how can you not let that control? Right. You know, it's so like using play therapy as like as an example for what it can represent in somebody's bigger life is right. really cool. Let's talk about the movie definition of therapy. Right, yeah. you're sitting on the couch, you're lying on the couch, <laughs> and there's a person behind you, most likely like an old lady. Yeah, and she has a note notebook in her hand, and you're just oh. talking. How does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? So. Wrong. I am I am actually curious because I feel like Whoa. 90% of the people who want to go to therapy just don't know what to expect, right? Yeah, that doesn't so, happen. So talk to me Brian, about the Brian, actual Brian, process. Oh, Brian, we're going to This is the most famous example of movie therapy from um, that Matt Damon movie. Uh... Um, oh, 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 uh, with Robin Williams. Good, uh, good, good thing. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, see, so good. I feel like that is you know, a really good representation. That's, okay, he said even oh. in the movie that is super unconventional. All right, give us the yeah, actual. I feel like that's a good representation. I give think us the it's the best rep- on, on camera. Okay, so like 
you don't take notes in therapy. It's actually pretty strange for someone to be talking to you and you just taking notes and writing down what they're saying. Unless they're sharing a specific instance that you need to document, which mm-hmm. is very rare, you don't take notes. Um, I also don't have a couch, so nobody really lays yeah. down. So you guys are just um, hanging out. We're just sitting down. I'm usually like at a nice distance, a nice healthy right. distance. Do you write notes after the fact? Yeah, you always oh, write okay. notes after. And, and I mean, I don't really see in practice you needing to use the notes that you write in session to like write and reflect on after. So you guys are just what, having a conversation. Just having a what, conversation. What do you feel like your role is? Do you think it's to help extract whatever is troubling your patient? Or do you feel like you're a mirror for, like, do you have an end goal or are you just letting the conversation drift to allow them to, to speak and explore their own mind? That's a great question. Um, that's why we bring them in guys. (laughs) A great question. Um, I meet everybody where they are. So if somebody is not ready to draw conclusions that I've already drawn, it's not my place to draw those conclusions. Um, if I see somebody enacting or, or, you know, showing behaviors that I think recognizing it would be helpful to them, then I will try to help them see what I see. But if someone's not ready to, whether it be mirrored or to go beyond whatever it is that they're talking about and take it a step further, it's really important just to like read the situation. So everyone is so different. Some people come to me directly and say, I want to be more confident. I want to have higher self-esteem. And you kind of work towards helping them figure out how to get there. But they're really their, their biggest... Uh, leader in therapy. Do you feel like you're giving them because when I'm like thinking to myself I want to do better at work, right? I have a fundamental idea of how I can do better at work. I just, like I I just need to start enacting those ideas. Do you feel like most people like literally don't know the path forward to becoming more confident or more secure? Less anxiety. Less anxiety. Or do you think that they have trouble like enacting it and you're just like bringing it to the forefront so that they start doing these things it's both it's some people really just don't know and then you introduce them and that really shows how ready they are because some people run with it and like i have clients that i've discharged because they're doing so well a year and a half later and then i have others that you know they know what to do but they're just not in the place mentally or physically in their life where they actually want to go beyond just the venting process Mm -hmm. and actually acting on changing I want to talk about the stigma part, right? Yeah. Because when you break your arm, for yeah. example, you go to physical therapy. Right. There's no stigma, right? You need to fix your arm. Yeah. Right. But there's some stigma against going... Mental health in general. Right. Mental health in yeah. general, right? Yeah. And we've seen big-time athletes. I want to just read something yeah. about... Um, well, I think I have a reason why that makes sense. Yeah. So if you... It's weakness, right? Yep. Or, or seen as that. So let's say if you, you break your arm or you're whatever, you're not strong enough that you, you're right. you're weak in that specific situation. Everyone understands that. And it's very obvious to mm-hmm. everybody that your arm wasn't strong enough right. to, to, right. to maintain its position or whatever it is. So now no nobody wants to be seen as mentally weak. Because right. even if you don't have the physical, right, people have, have ruled countries with their mental right. capacity and, and the ability to hold power and be on top. But... If you cannot even get yourself in order, I feel like people view that as a weakness. Exactly. So I could totally see why, but but the the I guess the idea is now to change that stigma is like, it's not uh, they're not different really. Right. If if you are if we should be viewing as a broken arm needing a cast the same way. And you that's exacerbated by by a six foot eight boxer, for example. Right. Oh, okay. He's supposed to be the strongest guy out there, and now he's weak. It, it looks wrong, right? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, your, yeah, might yeah. affect your stock, right? Yeah. So there's a, there's a guy by the name of Ben Gordon. He's a um, pretty good basketball, basketball player. player. Yeah, yeah. The Bulls. Six he was, man, he was always like one of the best players in the league. And he, was, he wrote recently an article about his mental health issues, right? And he had severe, severe panic well, I think attacks athletes and anxiety. in general have a lot of mental health Any issues. Any theory on that? What do you think? It's yeah. They're starting out being the the number one, the the coolest guy on campus, right. the big shot. Also, the pressure to provide all that and pressure, continue doing it. Huge. I think all of that uh, uh, just fosters a, a situation where they're they're not always mentally stable. So it's because interesting so because, many, because Ben read, Gordon, what do you got, Joe? I was gonna say you should read Friday Night Lights if you guys haven't, um, which basically it's talks a book. Yeah, it's a book. What? That, that became a movie and then a TV show. Yeah, I wish I watched both. Which basically the book is about discusses it's from a teacher in um, in Texas that talks about how high school football athletes are treated. And he basically go like these they don't need to come to class. Yeah, they're, they're celebrities. Home, right. Their homework is done for them. They have assigned cheerleaders who are like their bitches who like who like language do their, do their, do their laundry for them like bake Family cookies show. for them like <laughs> nah, like well bang them whatever it is whatever their needs like, needs to be met and like a, it's like a child it's like a it's like a child star it's like macaulay culkin or something like okay. like you no, so they, you they, then go from yeah. that to real go, world yeah. to, to real you go world. to college to where like you still have that you're basically given everything in your entire life on a silver platter from when you're born until you're 21 and then you join the real world all comes crumbling and down. it all comes crumbling yeah. down and now you need to provide for yourself you never had to do that before right for sure so ben gordon is an example back to, of that. Back to the story but the the the, uh, the um opposing argument to that is actually ben gordon's because he when he was in the nba he could focus his attention this was his article i highly recommend it so you say but but that just masks the problem it does right exactly yeah. so but when all that stopped he freaked out yeah. Right. So he was talking about his experiences as like panic attacks. So I just want to read like a little portion of it. Go for he it. said he was looking at the the um, the thermometer in his house, and it said seventy two degrees. And then he goes, okay. He goes, I couldn't unsee it. Days would go by. Seventy two, seventy two, seventy two, seventy two. Now I'm bipolar. I'm not sleeping, but I got spikes of energy. I'm in a bag. I'm spontaneous. I'm doing whatever I want. It's turn up time. So now I'm not sleeping. And my body, my mind is racing. My body and my brain start breaking down. I'm hallucinating. I'm seeing shit that isn't there. I'm hearing voices. I'm feeling like maybe God is talking to me, telling me, trying to tell me something. That's his experience in a panic attack. And then... It sounds like he's on some crazy drugs at that right, point, right? Right, right. There. Why did he mention that he has bipolar? This is years after he, he retired. So now he's so saying... he's diagnosed with bipolar? Well, or was so, it- so the solution for him was actually after he went to jail. After he went to jail... What did he go to jail for? He had court-mandated some, like... Like petty thefts, like armed, like burglary. As an NBA player, I got millions of dollars. Right. right, exactly. So he went to jail and they prescribed him or they, whatever the word, court ordered him to go to therapy. Yeah. And so now he's saying to himself, this is the next quote, he says, you know, I'm not going to let some other older white lady, what, what's she going to know about me, what I'm going through? How can she tell me anything? She can't tell me nothing. Well, she didn't. She barely said a word, as a matter of fact, but I got to sit in a chair and just talk my shit. And you know what? It felt pretty good. I ended up doing an extra six months of therapy all by my own, not because I had to, but just because I thought, you know what? I'm actually fucking with this. <laughs> so that's what Ben Gordon said. And now yeah. he's healthy. Yeah. And all it took was just talking to somebody. That's it. Yeah, we're not miracle workers. People come in and say, fix this. Some people, not most people. But it's, it's really, we can only do as much as they're willing to put in. Like the result of therapy is, mo- it's, it's 45 minutes a week. Question. Oh, we got thing one back <laughs> in the episode. 
What do you got? So recently someone was talking about a spiritual healer. Oh. What is what is your take on that? I can't really say because I'm not too I'm not too versed in that. I, I'm also I'm a spiritual person personally, but I don't know how much I I believe in um, how would you define how that? How would you define that? So a spiritual healer, they were saying that they put out like cards and they put out rocks in front of you and depending on what you take, mm-hmm. what you gravitate towards, they could find it. Like they could tell you about your personality. They could tell you about... So in my opinion, that's all bullshit. Right. But it's <laughs> just readers. it's just like Placebo. therapy. And, no, I think I think it's, it's just like talking to somebody. Yeah. You're basically that's saying what you, what you always wanted to say, right. but now you have a medium to do so. So... Now you're you're in therapy. You'd be talking to the therapist, right? But it, with the spiritual healer, you're basically talking through the cards. Where everything she says, you're gonna gravitate towards the things you something, already yeah, had in true. your mind. That's true. I I think something that actually really helped me get through grad school was my supervisor in my first year said the act of actually coming to therapy and just talking that is like half, if not more, of the work. So like mm-hmm. yeah. I think what you just said is so on point. Like. Just having somebody that you feel can either like reflect on what potentially could exist in you that right, you didn't, exactly. aren't really like saying yourself, but someone else is saying it feels good, even if it's not like a hundred percent accurate. You're just gonna cling on to things that you think are accurate. Yeah. Right? Like right. she could say ten things, you're gonna pick out the one thing. It's like you know, horoscope. The, the horoscope. I was yeah. about to say, <laughs> read the horoscope. Oh, right. I, I'm excited today, you know, or I did have a really but good just, opportunity. Just chemically, I'm just curious. Like, right. you talking to somebody, does that raise your serotonin It does. Level? I mean, really? I, I mean, if, if you want it, that's the thing. Right. If you Intention, if it, right. Exactly. If it makes you uncomfortable and you're mm-hmm. not ready to be in therapy, I tell this to parents all the time, you can't bring your kids to me and they're going to benefit from it if they don't want to talk. Right. If they don't if, buy in. If they don't buy in, exactly. And going back to, like, this idea of it being, like, a placebo, mm-hmm. sometimes that's enough. Like, if being, if going to a spiritual healer, healer help someone somehow even if i think it's baloney do it you know because it's Bologna. there's no Bologna. there's no way of knowing so, so spiritual healer so makes me strong. think of like psychedelics oh. and i know there's not a lot of i don't know if you have any experience with this I but don't. there's not a lot of research on this topic um ever since they've been illegal right because they've been <laughs> schedule one illegal yeah i mean marijuana substances. that's that's the whole issue is they are not able to study the effects. As the claims are cures cancer, it, it uh, helps anxiety, it gets rid of depression. Uh, like there's right. all – even by Crohn's disease, all these different uh, diseases that marijuana is claimed to us help. We don't know the truth of that because they weren't able to, to – right. No, not – yeah, well, yeah exactly. It's illegal. Yeah. It's illegal because it was stigmatized uh, where back in yeah. the – I don't know. Was it um, like 60s or 70s where they were tra- basically trying to put everyone in jail? Right. Um, and – because of that, we just don't know. It could have all these benefits. It could not. Maybe it screws over everyone's lungs like tobacco does. Who knows? But it, what do you we, think? we won't know for another 30 years. Of marijuana? Or Let's talk about both. Let's talk about both. Okay. Yeah. Um, I personally categorize marijuana more with alcohol because I think that it's more about how you use it than the actual direct effects on you. So like if you're using it problematically the same way with drinking it could be problematic, then maybe you should check why you're using it so frequently or how it's impacting But is, you. isn't one like actually addictive versus... Well, so, I mean, so there's no withdrawal sy- symptoms. If you stop... Oh, for beer. For, no, from marijuana. Yeah. For alcohol, yes. Yeah. But, like, if you stop smoking, sure, you'll probably feel irritable and, like, annoyed that you're not high, right. but you don't physically go right. into withdrawal. Let me ask about the effects specifically on, like, anxiety, for example. Yeah. How do you think, um, that, how do you think they relate? I mean, it's, it's crazy because people come in and say it helps them with their anxiety, but clinically it's not... not it's not good for anxiety, actually. It, Really? Long term, masks it. I would think it, just like alcohol is just, used to mask right, the issue. Right, right. But physically, long term, it's not good for anxiety. It 
doesn't, I, I don't know, I don't, again, I don't know, like, the science behind how, like, the stats of it. Right. Um, but we, we as, like, as a clinic, we right. recognize that people use it recreationally, but, like, if you do use it problematically, like, mm-hmm. alcohol, and you right. use, as a, you as do a medicine. Right, right. It, it, it isn't good long-term. For depression also, by the way. Exactly. Smoking for some people makes them depressed. Like, right. it makes them down. So that and alcohol, with, same. That yeah. combined with depression doesn't seem like a good solution. No. And that's yeah. that's another thing. With alcohol, people who binge drink or have, like, poor habits with alcohol, um, if you see them either following a binge or, like, days after, it really does depress the body. Not right. just, like, your psyche, but, like, it, it is a depressant. Physiologically. Yeah, physiologically. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I want to finish this off. You yeah. said it... Um, like sometimes marijuana depresses people. I think it creates more anxieties in, in situations also where yeah, people I get, are I get like it. paranoid uh, feeling. Yeah. So, I think having a bad trip right? for the exact opposite reason. That's what we were just saying. Yeah. We're, so we're talking about the, how how it can kind of be both, and that's why clinically it can't. Well, for one, it has to be studied more, yes. and clinically it can't really be prescribed in that way. I, I use it more because um, I find that I come back from work and my mind's still racing from the day. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to find that, like, downtime period. Yeah. Um, and it just allows you to, like, to, like, kind of unwind a little bit more quickly. Yeah. And to, like, take the edge off. Right. And, I mean, so maybe the way that you're using it is more like how people use alcohol in, like, a non-problematic way where you come home from work, you have a glass of wine, yeah. nothing wrong with that. Um, it's more so if you're, like, depending on it, not just, like, wanting it, but more so needing it. If you're relying on it to get through the day, if you're sacrificing other responsibilities and potential consequences because you just want to smoke or drink, like, it really just is about how you use it. I think that's how majority of Americans use that. Like, when people say, I come home from work and take glasses. No, I mean, a lot of, I mean, alcoholism is very high. I mean, I think the stats, I mean, maybe you have them offhand, but, like, (laughs) I I think the stats are, like, 40. Unprepared. Unprepared. (laughs) Um, 40% of people who struggle from addiction Where's struggle with alcohol right, right. Um, we have Jamie around somewhere Jamie Jamie's Jamie. working on Let's our good friend Jamie. Joe Rogan's podcast right yeah, now Joe, so Joe, Joe, you, Jamie Jamie though until you your contract's up in a week alright thanks Brian <laughs> we're back so I just want to focus back on, on anxiety on, yeah. right and, and for someone who has, well, I just want to ask you, psychedelics, LSD, any, any, any study on that? Any research at all? Uh, n- not that I know of. I know people with personal I feel personal like the experience. military has something they that they, they right? classify. Right. You know, right. I, know. Know. I mean, I've heard, I've heard anecdotal <laughs> stories from clients pers- in my personal life of people who have had trips last for significant periods of time. I've read about that yeah. where, where it, it could alter your, for like ever, Forever. your brain structure. Yeah. So... Like one trip right. will just mess you up for yeah. life, which yeah. is so it's such a crazy. So crazy I know thing. someone personally who that happened to, and he That's, committed a very violent act. Wow! Wild, After and he's in jail now. Yeah, he wow. tried to kill somebody. Yeah, and it, I mean so it's, it's very powerful. It needs, but it has potential. It has, it has potential. potential. How 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 much after the trip was that? This was like two years later. Two, wow! Yeah, and, yeah. But so that's wild. Yeah. How could we attribute it to that? Though? I mean, and that's the thing. I don't know. Oh, okay, I, I'm okay. so curious myself. Right. And so I also hear th- people... If marijuana is TBD, this is like super TBD. Yeah. Like, we're not even close. <laughs> oh, yeah, to yeah, yeah, Right, yeah, right, no. But then you hear about like microdosing with shrooms and that... I don't know if you looked into this at all, but like there are some studies in, uh, I think, other places outside of the U.S. Amsterdam that, probably. Yeah, that it's legal, where, it's legal yeah. Um, where they see that there is potential for it to treat depression. And I don't know anything about that. I think it's interesting to learn about, but... Yeah, microdosing, they're trying to control the actual dose they're getting and, yeah. and be able to right because the whole thing with with psychedelics is it's it's so immeasurable yeah when you take exactly. if you take a tab of lsd or something like that 
you're Especially you don't know the, ne- the effect necessarily because you don't know what the supplier what they right. put in it um yeah. your how your body's feeling at a certain time if you have food in you feel on food so but microdosing is an attempt to um to control that situation yeah. where you're going a little bit at a time and as you and you're able to um, assess how you feel while you're going along yeah. this trip. By the way, the first guy who invented invented quote unquote LSD, Albert Hoffman. Oh, is he famous? <laughs> so he first synthesized LSD and he took what he thought was a tiny, tiny amount of this LSD. Fucked him up. Micrograms, fucking yeah, micrograms. Yeah, yeah. And he took three times the amount of the normal person. Oh that, that's, my God, that's proposed. Dude, this guy. And he wrote in his book, he was trying to keep notes and he's like, is this scribbling? Like, is he just like... He's like, crisis. That's what he wrote, period. Oh. Dude, the guy probably thought he was going to die. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a powerful drug, but, yeah. but there's, it's way too early it's in the research. It's way too early. Yeah. And it's synthetic. Again, even ca- cannabis, you think... And that's why, I personally, I'm all about it becoming legal, because you want to know where you're getting it from and where it, what's in it. Yeah. I've worked with kids who have smoked PCP without realizing it, and they've had a horrible right. lay, lay experiences. Shit. Yeah. Well, that's the whole cart situation. I might have talked about this in another podcast, but the there was a skyrocket incident in... Um, in lung issues from uh, e- e-cigarettes is what they called it. Right, right. They found out it wasn't actually e-cigarettes. There's nothing wrong with Juul. I mean, the fact that you're just in- inhaling uh, all that stuff. It was it was marijuana carts oh. that were um, on the black market that right. people were making counterfeit versions and they were putting vitamin E oh, wow. in mm. the, as a filller, mm. which you're not supposed to like you, you, if, if people that if people that like smoked, let's say um, a card a week, which is a lot like, yeah. like they're smoking constantly. They, they took in amounts of vitamin E that they should never have in their lungs. And then they were going and they were going to the hospital and they didn't want to say they were, they were right, smoking right, weed right, pens. Right, right. So they would say, Oh, e-cigarette and e-cigarettes got villain, vilified for, it. but, um, they would be able to regulate all that stuff if they made it legal across the board yes. where now you're able to tell exactly how much is in each, um, you're able to, uh, verify that there's a legit product and not having filler bullshit in there that could, yeah. that could harm you. Um, that, the tax money, all these different, uh, reasons to legalize. Um, but I think for your profession, legalization of, of like drugs is kind of on the forefront of the next step because I don't know if you guys would want to use them, but you're just understanding so many different things about the well, mind. I when personally you're only, it. I only really agree with marijuana personally, I guess professionally, I should say, because I feel like I don't know, and, and maybe I hear what you're saying. If it was legal, we would know more about it to yeah. see if it should be legal or not. There's too I, much dangers. I, in I, that. I think it's too. Yeah, I think it's too risky. And but with with cannabis, it's very obvious that I think it should be. De- I'm glad it's decriminalized, but it should be legalized and. It's this. I. I Mostly really a bunch of states, but yeah, not yeah. federally. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, yeah. So we'll see what happens. We'll see. <laughs> Stay, yeah. tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned. Stay uh, tuned. I want to just talk we'll broad picture. Podcast I just want to talk. Years, 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 no, uh, I want to talk broad strokes. What was like the best? What were, what were some horror stories? I just want to ask you yeah. like, your, your most challenging moment, um, therapy wise, you know, in general. Well, I I can't I can't get into like too too. Spe- oh, I guess. I don't know if I can share. Um, I mean, no names. But. I No, I know. Okay, so I hadn't... I'm going to have to be very... I don't, know how, I don't know if I can share this. Well, how about this? <laughs> what, is, what are the horror stories from your perspective where it was, it was a very challenging situation? Do you want to have to guess the actual okay. person right. or anything okay. like person, that? Like, person. Like kinda, you give right. us a very, very vague okay, situation. How you I can like, frame it that right. way. Well, I'll, I'll be vague in that regard. There was somebody... Who had disclosed to me in one of my settings that they had a plan to harm 
other okay yeah, people. yeah exactly so how do you, um, that's right. that's a scary moment right. for like yeah anybody that that gets told that yeah. and now you're, you have a professional obligation to do this was my first month in oh my <laughs> god yeah okay so yeah, tell us so yeah. i um i had no idea what the hell to do um i mean i did like I did on paper. I knew the steps, and I'm really glad that I took knowing these steps okay. very seriously. So they have a plan in place. There's a plan in place Got of it. who you contact next and how you establish how serious it is, how credible right. it is. Um, but you know, once the police got involved, and it was you know, it was just really difficult because you. I got to see so many different perspectives of like the administrators of my work setting, and then the police. But like here, I was actually empathizing with this person. Well, what, right. Yeah. What was your reaction? Like, what was your first reaction? So my first reaction was, what happened to get you to this point of such anger that you felt justified in reacting in such a violent way? And I don't, and I mean, it's hard to say, is this person suffering from a personality disorder where they have no remorse or, or uh, regard for other people? Or is this person just really angry and upset? Um, and like, this was my first time meeting with this person. So I oh, didn't wow. really know okay. that. Um, so I really had to take the time to like, see how serious they were. And then we, and I advocated for a plan in place for them to be not arrested, yeah. but you know, receiving services in the future, like switching to a different setting where they were more structured and supervised, but also still receiving therapeutic services. If right. that makes sense. Yeah. From, yeah. from your perspective, no action has been done yet. I could see. So you're, you're trying to pre- basically prevent that action without yeah. this person getting in trouble. Because maybe it was just a, a fleeting moment where they said something that they didn't want to say or maybe well, there felt was, something. There was a, we found a lot of evidence towards it. So that, ah, okay. that so made it end. Yeah. How did it end this time? They are... I don't know where they are right now, but no. but no arrests were made. They were placed in a different setting with more therapeutic supervised mm-hmm. services. But... Um, I was glad that no arrests. I mean, he, you know, it doesn't always happen that way. It's really hard to say, but um, I felt, I felt you want to. You, I, I felt mean, conflicted, clearly, right? Yeah. Because you want to, you want to advocate to give them the freedom of like not being constrained now to going to jail, but then you also don't know if the the services that they will receive will prevent them from doing anything Similar. actually in the future. Right. You know what I mean? So like, how do you how do you know when somebody is okay to be? in a public setting versus in prison, yeah, you know? Yeah, really hard to tell. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, let me yeah. flip the table. Sure, right? sure. You're in therapy for a reason. Let me just talk about the the, the most rewarding moment, memorable, positively. Yeah, um, yeah I have a, a client. Um, she, like, briefly, she, like, attempted suicide shortly after getting married. She And then I started meeting with her a few months after that. Um, and now she's just, she was on medication. She's found a way to sort of be happy off medication. Um, she comes to therapy still, like she's very engaged, but she really has made like such strides. And she's an example of like her life seemed perfect. She was getting married, she had a great paying job. Like there was nothing to connect the dots, but she just was so depressed. She, you know, it was a month after getting married. Um, so like there are situations like that where, you know, you can see and like, you know, she'll write you a card. She wrote me a card on like, like for Christmas, like not knowing I'm Jewish, but like mm-hmm. she wrote me a card and it was like a really, I, I like cried from it. Cause it was right. just her really thanking me and like acknowledging how impactful it can be. So awesome. Yeah. Let's just finish up on mental health. Yeah. Uh, I just want to ask you, like, do you think there's a cure, like a quote unquote cure to mental health? Like, or is it just managing it basically? I think, I think everybody struggles with something, right? So I think 
for a lot of people, suffering from mental illness might be looked at as like a challenge, but then in other ways, I think it also can help you be progressive in ways and have strengths in ways that other people don't have, you know? Cool. What do you so, mean by that? So like um, people who are fueled, let's say, by anxiety, right? So like you're thinking every day, you're you're caught up in how you feel, you're anxious all the time, but like you might also be someone who's very motivated to like get those things done right. and to empathize with other people experiencing it. Like you might just have a little bit more patience and, and you know, desire to help. You know, it, I feel like it's just different, but finding the good in every bad, awesome. bad uh, character. So that leads me to my last point, which yeah. is, if you have someone who's suffering at any level, right? Mm-hmm. We're saying even the common guy. Yeah. We have five people in the room right now. One of us is is depressed mm-hmm. or anxious, right? So, what we really ask that sort of okay. So, what are you telling to the to those people? Like, what what's your message to them? Just start somewhere. Like, just start somewhere. Whether it's like talking to your primary care doctor and like finding out about what's out there for you. Talking to a friend if you're not ready to take it beyond that. But like, talk to people who who you think will be able to make a difference for you and like don't don't keep it in because everyone struggles and it's okay to struggle um i want to just ask you aside from depression anxiety you are dealing with like you said a ton of different topics so i'm just curious of your uh, i know you did something regarding homelessness yeah so i'm just thinking of like other social issues that people should pay more attention to because they're really impacting society you know um well, homelessness is one. I'll start, I'll start there. I think people have this misconception that everyone who's homeless is a drug addict or mentally ill and untreated. Um, I really think the biggest reason why homelessness exists is because there's not a livable wage and affordable housing. I think it's it's really comes it's down economics. to... It's economics, exactly. Right. It's And if you look at the numbers, it's not people who are chronically homeless are always correlated to having mental, mental illness. Health. It might be the opposite, where you are homeless For because sure, of yeah. situational obviously you might feel depressed from that yes. you know um so you're homeless and yeah. then and then that bar upon um one question that i have and i think this is like for psychologists therapists anybody that kind of th- deals with the mind mm-hmm. does it affect your relationships right where oh, you're yeah. sort of being a therapist for people that oh me yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. i'm thinking of sex education the show on netflix <laughs> where it, otis's mom yeah was yeah right? uh gene gene yeah, yeah gene. she's constantly Therapizing is that a word? What's the? Word? I, I love that verb. I, I use it all. The time. She's therapizing her son <laughs> all day what long. What's the actual term there? Uh, giving therapy. To giving. Her, right? Oh, you can't. You can't. We can uh, use therapize. I like. So it. is that an issue? Do you, oh, with your friends, yeah. if you like try oh. to therapize me. Well, I think I think truthfully, I got. I, I always knew I would be in this field because right. I always did feel like you I was, did it. You did it before it was a job. <laughs> I so did. I was like, might as well make money from it, right? <laughs> like, I really just. I I feel like we all have strengths. For me, it's always just. I think I am just a very empathetic, intuitive person with other people. Um, but I definitely feel like there have been settings where people will like meet me and they'll hear I'm a therapist and they'll just be like, oh, oh my gosh, well, here's well, tell what's you about going my on, life. right? Yeah, send me a bill at that right? point. We have, I, a I, I, <laughs> we have a question from Enrique in the booth, in the audience. So, uh, the homelessness thing, mm-hmm. um, what percentage on, right? of people do you think that live on the streets are actually fully there? And 100%. This is not by studies. This right. is got to be something. There's got to be something to the experience of being homeless that causes some screws. Right. I, yeah. This is part of my question. Like, do they become like all loopy because so, they? So what is the what what came first, chicken or the egg? Right. Basically. Right. Yeah. I. That's kind of what you talk I, like, I think it knows, starts. Yeah. I think it does start with the lack of affordable housing and the living wages. I don't know. What percent? Because you definitely do see. I, I guess maybe the the majority of visibly homeless people are 
depicted as mentally ill or substance right, right, using right. because those are the ones who live on the streets, the ones who lives on the streets subway, but like yeah. you can in my experience a lot of homeless people aren't homeless because they're sleeping outside it's three families right. living in a one bedroom apartment right. you yeah, know yeah, yeah. so you're the mayor you're the mayor of new york yeah how do you yeah. solve homelessness i i am not joking i think about this all day every day i i think it's actually something that i i, I think it's like my biggest like desire is to figure out how to fix this because I really don't know and I'm not too keen like I don't know too much about economics specifically yeah. so I don't really know but like there has to be a way to I don't like you hear like tent housing there's tent housing in other places that are warmer California yeah like that's yeah. not really a solution but like you know I, I, I just I don't know I mean if there was a way to to match wages with housing and maybe give more housing because obviously New York is so populated yeah I, maybe shipping them off to I mean, more places always, I don't know exactly. with this job market with that... this job market I'm, I'm a fan of teach a man to fish like if yeah. you could actually give homeless people a chance at some of these jobs yeah you know well, unemployment so unemployment's at the lowest levels the in most history. successful uh, prisons are I think not in the US obviously but I forgot which country has this they where they teach them a profession yeah. mm -hmm. and they pay them a wage in prison mm -hmm. and they get out and they now have something to do cuz why why do people what what are repeat offenders um uh, why why are they always back in prisons because they have nothing to go to when they get out yes. well, they're going to go back to the gang they're going to go back to their way of life right. but if you teach them a profession and that's what it, they they I did in this european whatever it was um they got out. They were now a baker, or right. they right. knew how to do a something. A skill. A skill, right. and and they're right away able to acclimate back to normal life. 100%. I want to finish off, Rochelle. Your, the, the, the what's the most valuable thing for you about working in social work in general? Like, what do you what do you enjoy the most out of it? What do you benefit the most out of it? I love that. Like everything I feel I do in my day to day is correlated and measurable to like how much I'm helping somebody. You know what I mean? So like even the mundane things like sending a fax yeah. of a letter for someone for court, like I know that that is so significant. Like every single thing that I feel like I'm doing is so significant. And I even if it's a small thing, I right? Just, it's not it's not six degrees to helping people. It's, no. it's like literally direct. Whereas if I tried to make my profession marketing. Uh, yeah. into helping people I'd have to jump and jump know, a few yeah, right, yeah. Right. be like uh, well first they see the ad and they really enjoy it and they have a great time <laughs> and then like oh, alright with that know. we're gonna go on a quick little break and then we'll be back with Rochelle's experience as a first generation oh, shit. that was just part one that was just part one <laughs> That was amazing part one of episode 27 of Big Tech to Dick and Bones. Ready for part B, Dick Bones? Um, I don't know what the hell you Yeah, saying. I don't know what I was saying either, but let's just roll with it. We're rolling know? with roll it. Episode number 27 of Big Tech to Dick and Bones. Again, we have Rochelle Shoptube in the booth. In the booth. For the first, first time. First hopefully time. not the last. Hopefully not. <laughs> and we're talking about your upbringing. Mm -hmm. We talked about it in the beginning of the podcast. So you went to Hunter. You got a master's degree. You did all these things, but I want to talk about your background personally. Growing up in Long Island, Growing is that right? Island. Yeah. You grew up as uh, what, I up. Grew, about, grew, what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about. 
uh, this for this part of the podcast is being a first generation American. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about first of all, you're just upbringing in general. Yeah, where your um, parents from all that. My parents are from Iran. They met when they they both came here um, during the revolution. So they met in. Brooklyn, actually. Cool. Um, yeah, so, yeah, they were living... Um, my mom was living with, like, a Lubavitch family. My dad was living with wow. some friends. Like, he was a little older, and they Lubavitch just... Lubavitch do great work for this community, uh, yeah. They did. They, did. they really world, yeah. do. Yeah, it was really, like... It was crazy. So they, like, just met, and they had, like, their own little Persian uh, friend group that they intertwined. They are both from the same place? They're both... So my, my mom was born and raised in Tehran. My dad um, was from Tehran, but I think... Right. Was lived in Shiraz for a little bit. Right. A little bit. But close enough. Yeah. How, close yeah, enough. how far are those I cities? I have zero idea. But <laughs> oh, I imagine close. Like you no, I have geography. no idea. But so, okay, so this is, what, what year is this? Um, <laughs> I would say in the 70s. Wow. Or so 1970s, they're already at this point. 80s, 80s. 1980s. Yeah. They're at this point, how old, roughly? My mom moved here when she was 15, and my oh, wow. dad okay, was like so 18. Yeah, yeah. How, how, yeah. How long ago was 80s? Three. Two, one. Uh, 50 years ago. My dad 40 years ago. 40 years ago? He's watching like two years ago. I was going to say two years ago, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Okay, so you grow up, and your parents have been living there for a long time since you were born, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so they're, they're at least acclimated, but I want to just talk about your experience as a first-generation American, because the first question I always think of is, how do you identify yourself? Mm. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are like... 800, I mean, over 800 languages spoken in New York yeah. City alone. It's a, it's a town of immigrants. Yeah. But when, when no. you ask somebody where they're melting from, pot. it's a melting pot. pot, as they say, right? But when you ask somebody where well, they're from, they don't say wherever they came from. They say, I'm from New York. I do. Yeah. I'm an American. What do you say? I'm Syrian? Oh, no, no. I think it's the opposite. I think people do say they're, they're where they came from, and we don't because oh, really? we're fourth generation <laughs> American. Maybe, yeah. that's true. But, but, but uh, I want to just ask about your identity. How do you yeah. identify yourself? I definitely say I'm Persian right. Jewish, and yeah. I definitely throw Jewish in there because... American's not in there? I never really... Say, I mean, if, oh, well. if I'm traveling, I guess, to a different country, then maybe right, right, I'll right, say right. American, the, they, right? They, they I'll throw it in. They identify you. They identify you. Oh, yeah. the American. The American. I don't know what right. accent that was. I don't know if that was racist yeah. or anything. <laughs> okay. But so but, Persian is the first word, right? Persian's the first word, yeah. And then people are like, what's that? And I'm like, Iranian, and then it makes more sense, yeah. Right. But yeah, it was pretty traditional. Like I, I brought was brought up in like a very white neighborhood, um, so I wasn't really in the Persian community until I moved when I was fourteen, um, and I went to mostly yeshiva before that. So like I was always w- with Jewish schools. So I was mostly right. with other Jewish um, kids, but no one really that was Persian. So I wasn't really in the Persian community until I moved when I was fourteen, and then right. I went to a public school, but what, that was filled with some other Persian Jews. I want to uh, ask about. But you didn't think that was the way she got. No, she not, got, no, no, no. Not at all. But no, I want to talk about your. A Herx, I want to talk about the relationship with your parents specifically. And yeah. when I think of first generation Americans, maybe I'm being racist. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but but I think of parents who don't speak English, right? Oh, Do your yeah. parents speak broken English? My parents speak English. Perfect. Mom, English? dad, I know you speak English very well. My mom, I, I would say my mom's accent's definitely a little toned down than my dad's. My dad's okay. is pretty, <laughs> pretty there. Right. Um, but it's pretty thick, yeah. I would, I would definitely agree. But, how many C's? Yeah. How many C's? How many C's too? Uh, maybe three, honestly. It's pretty strong. No. Um, but no, they they definitely have. The, I think that they're not necessarily the norm because right. they definitely do embrace American culture more right. than I'd say a lot of my other like friends' parents yeah. have. Right. Well, I guess so it's the circumstances, right? Yeah. It's the circumstances they got. They left you know, yeah. Iran from. Yeah. Right. So like, what was that? They left that? for I would say mostly religious freedom because. Right. 
Right. So America and there is just amazing. It's great. You yeah. want to be associated with Let that. me just hit on that point for a second. When we think of America, especially coming from a, a very desperate, scary situation, you think of the American dream. Yeah. So I want to just get your definition. Like, what do you think of the American dream? What do you think that means for most people? I think for most people, it's just pursuing better conditions. Like, you see people who are here who have far less than, you know, maybe myself or others, but they're right. so content with it because it's better than where they came from. Right. And then they have the, the freedom and the potential to strive for more. For sure. Yeah. American dream, baby. Yeah. Comment on that? Yeah, I mean, I think the the ability to ha- to be- create yourself mm-hmm. into something, whereas where they came from might, might have been more oppressed or mm-hmm. just not. If they came from a uh, communist or socialist uh, society, they didn't have the opportunity to, to, uh, to financially to make money or even right. choose maybe their own profession that they wanted. Or to. even basic human rights. Like, so you, know. you come you come to America, you have freedom of speech, right. uh, capitalism. What's not to like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can drink. You can't drink in Iran. Really? Yeah. Oh, at all? No, it's illegal. To drink? Have to have alcohol. Wow. Alcohol's wow. illegal. And like, women in Saudi Arabia cannot drive or anything. Wow. Well, can basic human rights. Music? I feel like, like that. that's also a thing. Right? Music? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Like, no, I'm not. Let me ask about Jewish. I mean, the Jewish community in general. I don't know about right now, but when they left, it was everything was kind of blowing up. Like that was. A, Poor choice of words, but they they, <laughs> they that was a poor choice of words. Choice of words. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was very under under wraps. Let me ask about um, your life experience, just based off of this, right? Do you think that your life experience was, was easier than your parents? Was better is better. I think now? it. I definitely think it was easier because I can't imagine having to like move to a different country out of need, not out of like I'm moving abroad, you know, right? right. Um, but I definitely feel like. I have my own set of challenges that maybe they didn't really anticipate. Um, For example? Like, I I feel like when you're first generation, you're really, there's like this dichotomy. You're trying to balance between what your parents instill on you and what they expect from right. you, but also what everyone else around you is mm-hmm. doing. And being raised in a very white community that really the Jews there were all reform, I didn't really mm-hmm. feel like I was, I couldn't join the softball team because practice was on Saturday, right, you know? Right, right, right. Like I felt like, and they, for them it was like, well, who cares? You can at least be Jewish here, you know? So mm-hmm. there was not a a lot of understanding of yeah. like what I was going through because it was still so much better than what they went yeah, through. Yeah, I think it's it's all relative, but you can't. It's it's so hard to compare right. Um, right. difficulties or challenges because they're relative, right? There was was a was a uh, make or break situation where they right. they had to choose, and there was in their minds not really a choice into what they needed to do, and the um, luxuries that came with making that choice mm-hmm. coming to America, but. For us, we we can't even uh, understand their situation. Right. So so for us, not being able to play on the softball team might be the worst thing in the world. Right. And it just and, it and sucks. for some people, it just means you're a spoiled millennial. Exactly. No offense. No, right? no, I know. When you think of these stories of like people coming over on the boat, right. getting persecuted, 100%. coming to New York, pushing a wagon to get three cents a day, like the the like the American story, the American that was their dream, reality though. Like, working twenty twenty two hours a day. Right. And now we're complaining about what uh, my right. my selfie came out bad. And you know I and I really do recognize that. And I and I feel I find myself checking myself. And anytime I'm like upset about something, like does being upset about this actually hold weight the way I'm giving it weight? You know, yeah. like should I really mm-hmm. be letting it upset me? And usually the answer is no. And then right. once I'm the aware of it, like it, almost always. Yeah, almost yeah. always. We uh, we had an interesting conversation with David Azar last week, and he was talking about his experience fighting cancer. Oh, yeah. And he said after that experience. Nothing else stressed me out. Yeah. Why? Because no, he didn't, he didn't okay, but that was the, that, but yeah. I'm gonna generalize it because he's saying he says to himself, you know, is this he challenge? Said, he said his floor 
is higher. Oh, is way higher. Like yeah. he understands that even the worst times, he still experiences stress and, right, and right, difficulties. Right. Not now. It's everything's the rainbows. Right. But he understands that he's already hit the bottom, basically. So he knows how to like. fight through cancer. Right. So now. Even the worst times are still better than the than right. the than what they were. It's all relative. My dad always says when I, when we were kids, he said ninety nine thing ninety nine percent of the things you worry about don't come true. So just know you're you're fighting with it now, you're struggling with it. Yeah. It's never gonna happen. Ninety nine percent of the time. I mean, there are what it does. You're fine. But so don't, so and and it just it just rung true time and time again. Um, so I want to just go back for you. Allow me to the your your relationship with your parents. Yeah. Right. So you mentioned that they were all in. They've been here since they were fifteen years old. Yeah. You know. So like, talk about how they wanted to embrace American culture or assimilate yeah. versus. I mean, that's the question. Are they pro or con assimilation? They are very. I I think they're very traditional in how they've assimilated. Like, they came around to me having friends that weren't Jewish or weren't Persian. Like, they've warmed up to a lot of things that, like, I went to prom with someone who was Indian. You know, that right. was very, like, that was very stressful for them. Right. Um, to, no, his name was wow. Sudhir. Uh, Sudhir. His name's Sudhir. Hi, Sudhir. Still in touch with Yeah, no, we're really good friends. We're I mean, his he, friends. Then he will listen to yeah. this. Yeah, <laughs> Sudhir, listen to this. But from a traditional, like, Iranian community, that was, like, sacrilegious. It was, right. And then for my younger sister, though, she went, well, she didn't actually go with a date, but, like, because yeah. her friends just went together, but, like, it was, is that what you say when you can't get a date or what? Well, I'm sorry, but no, all our friends just went single, single gals. Right, right. But like for me going to prom, it was like, is this okay? For her, it was like, of course it's okay. Going away to school for me wasn't okay. Oh, were you the oldest child? I, my older sister stayed local. She went to Queens. Yeah, okay. Um, and then transferred to. So Berlin, you were the but, first one to, to yeah, have these experiences. And they were yeah. they were they were so angry at me like wow. they they couldn't they didn't like it but talk about <laughs> we'll talk about what's behind that like what are yeah. some values of the person yeah. community or of that parent child relationship that like was so wrong for them to say okay i think they felt threatened by the possibility of me finding either home is a strong word but finding right. comfort and a place where i belong that didn't involve them mm. and i uh, think that they felt like they couldn't assimilate to what new i would have found so it right. was either i stay with them or we're separated when that's not how i see things you know you can find new things and incorporate new things and right. and bridge that with your parents mm -hmm. even if they don't see it like that's possible you know so like me going away to school at first was like as an example they didn't understand how I would still, you know, come home for holidays and like keep Shabbat and like incorporate my friends and like yeah. I was able to do that despite right. their fears. So to them, it, it kind of felt like you were rejecting exactly exactly relationship exactly by yeah. by by kind of doing your own thing and yeah. forging your own path. You're leaving them behind exactly so that, yeah. exactly. And look at all this that I gave up to give you what I see for you. Yeah, how right. are you now going to go and do what you think is right when we don't see it right, that way? Right, right. Let's talk about their I totally, acceptance. I totally get that. I, yeah. get that I totally get that. I'm Let's never, talk about their... I fucking yeah. paid for all this shit. I swear. And you're just going to leave. You're rejecting me. Right. Well, see, I like I took out loans. Like, they, they right. it was a very... Yeah. It was a very we don't talk about it type thing in the beginning, right. but by the end of it, they're freaking bragging. My daughter went to Binghamton. I'm <laughs> like, bitch, you didn't want me to go to Binghamton. <laughs> how does the person community uh, value education as a whole? I guess especially for women. For is women is a great yeah. question. Um, I mean, I definitely have family members that like reacted like, why are you going to grad? Like, why? Wow. Like, why are you about? Like, you are taking what away time from doing? dating. You should be dating. Oh, should be married. You wow. should be getting married. You should be giving me children, grandchildren. <laughs> like, not my parents, oh, but like God. that definitely. <laughs> Exists. Yeah. Um, feels the heat. Even, and even now, they're, they're like, "What are you doing for now?" That's always the question. Right, what are you now. doing for now? Because when you get married, you're obviously not, not going to be working anymore. So sad. Okay. Um, I definitely don't always. think. 
So I know value. Enrique yeah. is also a uh, first generation American. Come oh, on in. First generation American. Uh, Enrique, quick question for you. I got it. Wait, I'll let you finish your finish your point. Oh, so, yeah. so relationship with the <laughs> relationship with the parents. Oh, so I mean, they've. I think yeah, I totally that. Got her off I, no, no, no. It's okay. No, this <laughs> is tangential. Thing. I think seeing that I was able to like pursue my goals, but also mm-hmm. not completely abandon theirs, mm-hmm. has kind of created this like overall acceptingness. Of, well, also because I think the things that I see for myself now also align with what they see for me. You know, yeah, I don't. I you know. Yeah. We're gonna bring Enrique in the booth, yes, and we're gonna so. ask you just really quick: How do you identify yourself? What do you? What are your first words? You definitely, are definitely Syrian. 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 To an American person, business deal. You say I'm Syrian. If they ask where I'm from, if it's an American person, yeah. and they ask where I'm from, I'm gonna say obviously I'm from Brooklyn, New York. But Brooklyn. They say what? What? My heritage. I say I'm a Syrian Jew. Syrian so, Jew. but Brooklyn is the first one. Brooklyn's the first one. So I want to ask you, Rochelle, how much of your culture do you think you actually like kept on to, hold on to? You know. I think that'll really come out more as I'm kind of taking the things that I've been like taught and shown and actually it's on me to practice. Like right mm-hmm. now I'm still home for the holidays. Like I'm home for Shabbat. Like I, so the, a lot of the things that were taught to me, it's easy to kind of maintain. I right. think it'll really be tested when once it's completely on me. Yeah. Right. But I do think I've found such like a joy and like a love for like Judaism and like the Persian culture. Like right. I, I look forward to the holidays where and those I are things your parents like de- like want to instill in yeah, you. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And I think when when I was younger, I I felt like so much pressure to love it that I questioned all the time. Like, right. do I like this? But now that I'm thinking on my own, it's like, yeah, I freaking love this. You know, mm-hmm. it's so different. So like, are you? Yeah, are you in your. I would say, more involved in your career right now in the stage of your life where you're like almost throwing everything into it i feel like that was me like through grad i wasn't really dating like i was really just focusing on like my establishing my job yeah and right now i feel like i'm at the place where i'm just working till i take my next exam and then i'm in my next stage of my career but like for the meantime i feel like my attention has actually kind of it stayed on work but it's not my main focus now it's definitely on things like dating (laughs) How's it going? <laughs> um, um, you know, it's it's been an interesting ride. I feel like first dates are just weird in general, but you can just kind of get a sense of someone through meeting them. What is, the, what is the Persian yeah, yeah, style exactly. of first dates? I like? have never dated a Persian guy before. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. What's the like stereotypical thing? Like, um, what's the process? Because we could give you the same. No, okay, I've gone on dates with Persian guys. I'll be, yeah, no. Okay. So I would say first dates with. Wait, but give me like the by age X, you're supposed to be X. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> by, oh, so when I was 18, I received my first phone call from a man from my synagogue who was <laughs> man. 29 years no old. No heads up. No heads up. No heads up. No one told me who gave him his number, who gave me his So who the conversation gave, goes, you say hello. The voicemail. Says, voicemail. He oh, left voicemail. me three voicemails oh, asking me on. Coming on did. strong. I know. And I was like, <laughs> mom, mom, where did this man get my number? Who is a stranger you know? I mean, he was like a, like a sibling of someone I knew. It was just. Well, was that t- is that typical? I don't know. I mean, oh, yeah, I mean, because sure. like, so a lot of so my... Is that your horror story? I, that was my horror story. Yeah. A lot of my friends, as you guys know, who are Persian are men. So the dating world for them, it's... And I have one friend, Sarah, who I love, who's also Persian Jewish. And we spent all of our time comparing our situa- or stories comparing because... Yeah, horror stories. Comparing horror stories yeah. because we are so yeah. similar in like what we want in a partner and like how we were brought up and, you know, what we see for ourselves. 
going back to the Persian thing. Yeah. But is that do you we were think, always on the Persian thing? Yeah. Do you think that's normal <laughs> I think the normal, for eighteen year old girls to go out with? I think the norm. Guys? Yeah, I think the norm is. Oh, it's actually I think way more intense than I because I was very clear that I didn't want to do it right, that way. Right, but like right. most Persian girls, I would say go on dates. They don't date for very long. If once they find the right person, they kind mm-hmm. of get engaged. I would say within a year, right. um, if that. I mean, sometimes six to six months to a year. Wow. Then they get married three months after that. Like everything right. is very very quick. That's the same way it works in the Syrian community. Like they're much quicker. Sure, they're for sure yeah. guys calling up random girls who they don't oh, know who got set up. Like that's just part of yeah. how the community works. Like we know, like we can't really marry out of the Syrian community, so it's not really a thing. Like, you can, so, but it's not as accepted. Is that it's a thing? Ex- is it really like hardly? Yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming I don't know how it works in the Persian community, but it seems like specifically with the Mashadis, they're yeah. a lot more like. The Syrian now we're tradi- subculture. In a traditional, <laughs> subculture in a traditional way, like yeah. they date older guys and they just the parents are just pushing the girls out to just get married at, at young to just start a family, whatever. Yeah. Before so your answer, I just want to say this is the most Enrique has spoken in any podcast, but you're, <laughs> no, you're I'm so, honored. Your response, it's relatable, yeah, right? yeah, yeah your response, I see it, especially as a like a first generation yeah. American, like yeah. I see within my community, like the Halabi community, like parents are just pushing yeah. their girls. And what's to crazy is it. Find a husband. Yeah. Like get your life started. The check boxes are so. Right. Even though they're they're eighteen, nineteen years old, they've just literally been aware for I don't know three years of their life of what's going on. And they want to just get married to a guy for. Yeah. See, for aside from years, it's crazy. As a, as a bachelor, aside from wanting to, <laughs> wanting wanting my my partner to to be, uh, um, mentally stimulated in a way that that they've had experiences. Aside right. from that. I think the dual uh, uh, economy, uh, what's it called? Dichotomy. Dual income Dichotomy. coming in oh. into a family um, <laughs> in this time, in this day and age, is long ago gone. Are the days where you could be raking it in and and, and selling? And you're to talking about an eighteen year old girl out of high school, <laughs> right? And now, now I'm I'm the only person bringing in any money, right. and but it's she's like cleaning your house and she's raising your kids. Right, you have to hire, but no, no, you have to hire a maid too. What do you oh. mean? You're <laughs> 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 living. You're living. So it's in true. the Syrian community, I think the the uh, uh, constraints. Or, or just, or just, yeah, the economic. It's all about economics. Uh, um, you <laughs> just, podcast. you need to take your your trip to Aruba. You need to, you need to go yeshiva. You need gotta get I, a deal. With right? w- with that, with all those uh, pressures on you, I think I would welcome a dual income household. Yes. and yes. I'm, I'm looking forward to. But you think your point yeah, is, is you your point that it? most? What if you killed it? Right. No, I said besides for the yeah, mental. Yeah. Aspect do you think that the, most people are thinking like you? No. Do you think that most people are not? Maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. I don't think so. I think Enrique has a different point of view. But for me. That's like, if, if truth is, if they have no aspirations, then they're right. not like somebody I really want to associate so with. So let me ask you because you have aspirations clearly. Yeah. So, <laughs> so your parents, your parents' reaction to this was here? what? My parents' reaction to me getting call, going to grad school, pursuing a career was actually amazing because right, they they've always struggled financially, so they they like that I am a go getter when it comes to like financially taking care of my own stuff mm-hmm. and. Like, what do you think they want for you, though? Like, what do you, what would they, what would you be ideally doing in their eyes? I think ideally I would be married already, have a few kids on the way. It's okay that I don't have kids just yet. Um, working part time, if that. Right. I mean, not they don't want me to work, but like when your kids are older, maybe go back to work type thing. Which, like for me, I just I see myself. I always wanted to work in a school, so like mm-hmm. one of the biggest selling points is the hours, right. right? So like be done when kids are mm-hmm. available. Like that's yeah. that to me is like a nice compromise that I also am so like excited about doing. You know, screws right. kids up when their mothers is one of the teachers. <laughs> I sure. don't know, right? <laughs> They're social worker. That really screws them up. Yeah. Um, so let me. View, yeah. Sorry. Does your did your view change? 
as you got older on what you want to do with your life? Like, yeah. coming out of high school, was there ever a point where you're like, all right, I should just get married at 19? I always... I want to get married at 19. I always just, for some reason, I just thought, like, 25? I'll have a house and kids. Like, <laughs> right. right? I just always was like, right. of course. But I never... I, there never came a point in my life where I was, like, the route that traditionally so many Persian women take is for me. Like, mm. like again, going away to school was a huge deal. And I loved that I went. And I'm wow. still now so thankful I went. But, like, I, I've never felt, you know, that, that struggle. I mean, granted, maybe a little bit now because I am seeing now in, like, the time where I am ready to get married. A lot of people are already kind of settled down. Right. But I've gone to, like, these Persian dating events and, like, the questions that they ask really solidified why I don't see myself kind of going that path. Because like, what are some of those questions? They ask, like will you stop working when you have kids wow. like flat out like that my religiousness like which i don't i don't think how religious i am is set in stone like i'm willing yeah. to be more but like it was like they don't even want to get to know you mm-hmm. or like what your favorite oh, color good. is just like will you keep shabbat and full kosher and if not then like keep it's walking. black and white it's, it's very black, black and white, white. do you see yourself staying in this community I see myself staying in a... Let me rephrase yeah, yeah. Do you, question there. Do you see yourself raising your kids in the way that they that you were raised? Um, because I was raised kind of at a distance, because again, the Herricks, like my high school, wasn't so Persian. It wasn't great neck north. So mm-hmm. because it was from a distance, I feel like I would do what I did for okay. myself. Right. Um, but I would be very intentional and very mindful about it the way I, I don't think my parents were able to be, you know? Right. I want to yeah, just ask about the parents. So yeah. that's, a good, that's a good perspective. Yeah. Um, did you ever feel that your parents never like got certain like American culture? Did you ever feel like embarrassed? 100%. Like, uh, 100%. you know, my <laughs> like if you look at like pictures of me and what I the hell I wore when I was growing <laughs> up, like my freaking haircut. We'll get that in the, uh, the bottom of the yeah. yeah, I think they've all been burned. But no, they're, like just, just. I mean, and, and again, I used to feel embarrassed, right. and and now I feel so guilty that I felt embarrassed because right. like. I have the best parents in the world. Like, they did what they could. They did the best they could. But, like, again, when you're a kid, it's like, Mom, why am I wearing this hideous plaid dress to school, like, when everyone's wearing jeans? Like, you know, I don't know. Right. Definitely. To them, it looked amazing. It looks so cute. Yeah. Right. My like full like haircut, I swear. Just like we I always have bangs. I don't know why I always have bangs. I don't look good with bangs. Oh, Enrique, any, any, uh, any stories on that front? Yeah. Anything yeah, did, did your mom send you to school with, like, a, uh, I don't know, give me some... Some old ass, old, old school dish. She's never done that. No, my mom came here when she was young. She was like 12 years old or whatever. So she kind of, she kind of like, I guess, yeah, grew up her, in her younger years in Syria. But when she got here, she was still, she still went to school, high school, right, right, elementary right, right, school yeah. and, and high school here. So she kind of. Knew what was up. And I just got to say, Mark's mom is the coolest. Yeah. She's like, so my cool. mom's like full of style. She yeah. knows like, what, what like looks good. So she didn't really dress me up in any funny ways. Right. Let's be nice. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty normal. Did dad have any, have any boat moments where you, where you just like, yeah, boat like, moments? Boat moments. Dad, come that. on. <laughs> huh. So I think, about, right. think about it. Think about, think about it. Get back to us. Mark's parents are real hip. Um, I just want to ask about the last part of this conversation, which are barriers, right, in your life. So, I mean, your parents were here since they're 15 years old. You know, to a less degree, they got affected by by the fact that they're just immigrants, right, in terms of accomplishing goals. I mean, talk to me about what you think their experience was 
with like xenophobia, you know, like the, yeah. the fear of the unknown, people just like judging them without, without knowing them? I mean, it's, it's so interesting because like being Middle Eastern, you still do have white privilege. Like I do, right. I look personally, I look white, you know, no one's going to look at me and automatically think this woman's going to blow me up. I'm sorry. But right. like the second you look I, like share, Italian, I look Italian yeah. and, and yeah. I'm lucky that I, yeah, yeah. I am lucky and I know right. that, but like my, and my parents, like they don't explicitly <laughs> look, they don't look super Persian, but they open their mouths and it's, right. that's their tell. So I definitely can see them having struggles, like, you know, th- th- not anything to my knowledge specifically about being from Iran, mm-hmm. you know, like, I don't think anyone has ever thankfully ever made comments like that, but the way immigrants, I think, are just so unknown, and there's so many stereotypes that are just kind of floating around, whether it is based off of immigration in general, or like, and really, once you hear that they're Jewish, it kind of makes it a little bit but better. But it's strange, because you think Persian, you think terrorist, maybe. Exactly. And then you think Jewish. And like, no, 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 I'm Jewish, I'm Jewish. It's like, another, don't worry. It's conflicting. <laughs> Not Persian, but Iranian, maybe. Yeah. But just talk about, talk about the, con- the concept of xenophobia, right? You have immigrants all around the world, yeah. right, obviously. You have in New York, I mentioned, 13 million out of 22 million people, right, immigrants. Yeah. Um, so, and then you think of, like, things like Trump yeah. and his wall, Right, you think about the Syrian refugees, um, where right. where there are about twelve million refugees, right, twelve and a half million from the Syrian civil war, three point six million of them went to Turkey, so they're all displaced, right? Yeah, three point six million, so a good chunk went to Turkey. A million went to Lebanon. How many went to the U.S.? How many were accepted by the U.S.? Take a guess. I don't want to. Uh, two hundred. I mean, you did the same thing I did at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Sixteen thousand. So three point million to sixteen thousand. So uh, does that does that affect you personally when you see that kind of stuff? It it upsets it just really upsets me because my parents have like really taken every like ounce of opportunity and just really run with it and mm-hmm. it kills me to think that there are other people like myself like the product of their hard work that would be limited by the barriers that I would have had if I was still right. in Iran, you know? Um and I I definitely do feel like Maybe it's not so blatant with this administration, but there's definitely like a dialogue around like questioning right. who's who, you know. But Dick, but, I mean, uh, I mean, probably one of the main reasons why Turkey and and Lebanon got so many Syrian refugees is because they're literally attached to each other. Right. So it's much harder to get to the U.S. than it is yeah, to get to. True. Right. I but, think part. Yeah. But I'm like kind of going off that, like with the Muslim ban that it, that was like placed right. on. There's no actual. It, uh, it was crazy right. because like, like I had I have family members that love Trump and I have family members who are not, you know, to hate him. Um, and I, yeah. Um, so like my family members who like we're so pro this Muslim ban. I was like, I'm sorry. Just because we're not Muslim doesn't mean you wouldn't have been on that list of people yeah. who couldn't get right. in this country. Like, it still applies to you. So, I don't know. You mentioned Muslim ban. I just want to mention that that when this was happening, or just in general, I'll give you some stats. The birth rate in, the, in European countries is negative. Meaning... Meaning, what? There's still back up there. Meaning, no, no, no. Let me tell you something. There are more deaths. The ratio. Yeah, yeah, there are more sure, deaths sure. than births. That's, it's that's something like, like it's something that. like point. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how to phrase it even. <laughs> I don't right either. now, but let's say there's there's one there's point eight people being born to one person dying. Right. Yeah. And right, right. and meanwhile, you have Muslim families who are having eight, nine, ten kids, yeah. and they're they're coming to Europe. So what you're saying is that Europe in general is losing the Europeans and it's being taken over by Middle Eastern right, right, right. people. Yeah. It's kind of scary if you think about it. Like Europe's not going to exist in a hundred years from now. No, Europe will still exist. The Europeans, but... traditional Europeans who have lived there for generations and generations won't really exist anymore. 
Are you sad about that though? Yeah. You have more kids. I don't know. We might tell you. Like that's <laughs> that's their, that's a choice. That's not like right. there's nothing being imposed upon them. That's like oh, you only have to have. But you got to think about how the culture is being impacted. Like you know, yes, melting pot. But like, do you do you have any like respect for tradition? You know, right. in terms of like you know, hundred year old Italians. Right. Right, and I mean. I think that's where I've kind of struggled because, like, my parents, like, from day one, I was like, I'm not going to marry a Persian guy. Yeah. And they're like, please. And they really, now they're, like, totally on board with me not marrying a Persian guy. Not but marrying? Right. No, that's yeah, great. no, they're, they're really okay with it. Wait, but, why is that? Um, you know, Persian men are a little bit difficult. We could have a whole <laughs> podcast on this. No, I'm just joking. Right. Yeah, I thought um, that was what they were supposed to be about. We were just warming up. We, we were recording the entire time? It's like they all just yeah, want someone who's right. another mom. They want someone who's going right. to cook for them and clean for them and rub Smile. their feet and give their right. children I mean, and stay at home. Yeah. No, I, I mean... <laughs> it's, it's very, it's very similar to the Serene really? uh, thing. Yeah. I just want more. I just feel like there is a depth to... Everyone should have What's a depth more to them. Is that... Like Ashkenaz guy? No, I, I mean, just somebody with substance. Somebody right. who has, like, like you were talking about goals and you were talking about, like, ambition and just, like, a depth to you that isn't just you staying within your bubble and not questioning what's beyond that. And that doesn't have to be an extreme idea, but just, like, seeing seeing things bigger than what you were told to be, like, told to see, if that makes sense. Right. Not accepting the status quo. Yeah. Oh. I want to ask you the final question before we go into break. Five years from now... Where are you? What are you doing? Oh, fuck you, I said that question. Five years. I have no idea. If you asked me when I was 20 what I was doing right now. <laughs> you would not have said yes. Take a wild guess, though. Take a wild guess. Okay, so I'll be 30. I would like to say that I'll be married. I'd like to say that I will be... How many kids? Maybe one by then. <laughs> okay. Just... Maybe that was not the focus. Of, of <laughs> Maybe one, goals. right? Sorry, sorry. Right. Well, no, I did start with marriage. I did start. Without. I mean, because I do feel like my career is pretty established where it needs to be right now. Um, ideally working in a school, maybe a practice on the side, be licensed, clinical, like done with, done with exams, yeah. done with that. Um, about three dogs, maybe two cats. <laughs> what kind um, of dogs? A corgi, a golden retriever, and maybe a French bulldog. Wow, she knows. Yeah. 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 Doesn't matter how many kids. Specific, I have no dogs exactly now. Exactly the breed <laughs> of the dogs. One kid doesn't matter if he's a boy or a girl. Just one. Reader, maybe one. Or rescue. Reader or rescue. Oh, rescue. Are you rescue. kidding? All right, we're gonna ask Dick now. Five yeah. years. That's a good. Question. What are you thinking? Oh, um, you're at this point, 32, 31. Oh, yeah. 31. 31. Okay. No, no, no. Actually, in two weeks, it'll be 30, 32. 30, 32. 30, 32. Turning 32. Turning 32. Yeah. What is, what is Dick I have like? no fucking idea. <laughs> I swear to God. Okay. With I don't even know what I'm going to do next week. We're going to go into a little break, and then we'll be back with a big takes activity. <laughs> episode number 27 we are here with our very special guest rochelle and <laughs> enrique in back in the booth Yo, yeah after a short hiatus what's what's the time for 
Bones, what do we, we got going? Activity time. Activity Welcome, time. ladies come and gentlemen. Come to the podcast. Stay for the activity. Hey, stay for the activity. If you made it here, congratulations. <laughs> you are here for the best part of the podcast, which is the activity time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Everyone knows it. Let me describe this activity. I'm going to ask Enrique to come a little bit closer to the uh, mic. You mean high tech mic? You got to put on his headphones. Put on your headphones. <laughs> yeah. And today's game is called Sound Bites. Okay. So Enrique is going to start the order of sitting. I want you guys to play at home because the order of seating is Enrique, Dick, myself. Bones and Rochelle, and what's gonna happen is you guys are gonna say each a one sound bite, right? You're gonna say one word, like syllable. It's gonna go in order, and together we're gonna sound out a TV show, right? Yeah. So, so you guys are working together. Alone here. they make no yeah. sense. For right. example, my first one is muff. Okay, right. Exactly. Don't know what that means. Okay, so together they're gonna they're gonna sound out a TV show. <laughs> and you hey. guys, let's see how many you could get in ninety seconds. Oh, so I like that. Bring up a timer here. Should we, should we do like two rounds and beat our beat our? Let's we'll see sixty <laughs> seconds. Let's we'll see sixty seconds. Okay, Ready? Let's go. Okay, 60 seconds, and we're starting in three, two, one, begin. Gay. Muff. The. Dad. Gay Muff the Dad? Ooh, what does that mean? Uh, Gay Muff the Dad? Game of the... Wait, game game of the... Time out, time out. (laughs) You screwed up the word. It's Game of Thrones. Why do you say dad? Four. One. No, No, say one, say one. What was it? Just go. <laughs> Restart the time. Uh, yeah, that was that was confusing. That was like American. Okay, 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 we're gonna start over. We're gonna do that one again. I think it's Game of Thrones. My my guess. <laughs> okay, we're weird. starting in three, two, one, begin. Yay. Muff. The. Thrones. Game of Thrones. Correct. Okay. Okay. Next one. I got it. Enrique, go. We love or chin. Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Fortune. Correct. Okay. Dick. Okay. Ham. Ease. Treat. Sesame Street. Sesame Street. Wow, correct. Okay. Rochelle's killing it. The wall. King. The Walking Dead, Walking Dead, Walking Dead, Walking Dead, go, go, go. Come on, let's go. The A. Maze. 30 seconds left. <laughs> oh, sorry. The, the Maze Runner. The Amazing Race. Man. The, oh, amazing race. race. Yeah. the Amazing Race. The Amazing Race. Go, go, go. Uh, Isle. Of. Oh, Ever? sorry. Uh, uh, loose. <laughs> Isle of Lucy. Isle of Lucy. Isle of Lucy, yeah. correct. Go, 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 go. go. 10 seconds. Silly. Kong. Val. He, Silicon Valley, go. Correct, let's go. Five. Then. Zing it. Zing it. Thus. Dead with the stars, go. Vid by. The last one was saved by the bell. Uh, you okay. guys did I gotta say, exceptionally I gotta well. say, if, if both didn't have the, the timer and the things going, would have got There was a lot going on. I want to thank you. That's going to do it here Woo! for Big Ticks, Dick and Bones. I want to thank all of our special guests, Enrique, Rochelle. This was filmed in front of a live audience. Well, film in front of live studio. I want to thank you for checking in to Big Bones. Make sure to like. You make sure to comment. You should make sure to subscribe. This is the Big Takes Dick and Bones, and we are out of here. Peace.